it's good to gather uh, together and to lift up our voices and our hearts in praise to the worthy one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life that we might have life everlasting. Fellowship with the Father in heaven and uh, abundant life now. As, our church, as a church family, our hearts are both saddened and gladdened to find out that our dear sister Miriam Green has just passed into the presence of the Lord um, half an hour ago or so and is now face to face with Christ her Savior who she loved. And uh, so we, we uh, of course, uh, feel the loss ourselves and pray for Cheryl and Mark and uh, all the family. Uh, but we know that she was so ready to go to be with Jesus and, um, and now her her promotion day has arrived. I hope the Lord takes me on a Sunday. I just, I just think that's sort of, there's something about that. A Sunday to go to be with the Lord. That's, ah, that's, that's kind of icing on the cake of life. And so uh, we'll be in prayer. We, we have no details for you, but um, you'll have to check in with the church. And, and so let, let's pray together. Father, we, we rejoice and thank you for your goodness and your love for us and our hearts go out to uh, the Green family, the whole extended family. Help Cheryl and Mark and the Glazier family and the Green family. Lord, I, I just uh, thank you that Miriam loved you with all her heart. And uh, you've come to, to uh, take her home to be with you and be reunited with Sherm and, Lord, um, others. And we, we just, we, we pray that um, in these days as... Um, Others gather to comfort the family that uh, the value of the gospel and knowing Christ and having our sins forgiven and being saved and granted eternal life would come to life uh, uh, among us again, Lord, I pray. Uh, I now ask that you would guide us in this, uh, the presentation of your word to us and help us, Lord, to gain strength from it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think um, it, it's become obvious in your life, I'm sure, regardless of how old you are, that if you seek to live with a passion for Jesus Christ, there's sure to be trouble uh, right around the corner. And depending on how passionate and, and, um, and on fire you are for the Lord, will likely uh, have some sort of direct correlation with the kind of opposition that will be stirred up in your life. If you're poking around in the darkness of, of your life and seeking to, by God's strength to have it rooted out of your life, um, it won't be long till the rumors of reform uh, begin to make darkness nervous and opposition will pick up its intensity. Um, I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Nehemiah chapter 4 and we're going to look at verse 7 through 23. We started um, what it means to have opposition last week and we, we kind of looked at the hors d'oeuvre last week. Ridicule is just the hors d'oeuvre. It's not really all that hard. We don't like it. It's, it's annoying and all of that. But you know the old saying, sticks and stones will break my bones. But names, they bug me forever. No, that's not how it goes. <laughs> Na- names, that, you know, they'll never really hurt us. And so ridicule, it, it's, it's a bother, but it's, it's not the big showstopper. But the intensity will pick up. And the real nasty stuff will come out. And that's what, what I want to look at this morning with you. And uh, in particular, I, I want to encourage you because the, the great danger in our lives 
In fact, the biggest danger is not the size of the threat. It's how big you think the threat really is. And that will, in in turn, stir up if you believe the threat is too big. Great discouragement in your life. And we want to look at, um, at five practical ideas that are given to us here by the excellent leadership of Nehemiah, uh, as laid on his heart by the living God, of how to combat that kind of discouragement. So if your Bibles are open, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 7. <clears throat> but when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and <clears throat> that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as us as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor any men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, each, even when he went for water. Well, this is the word of God to us this morning. And he has something very important to say to us. Uh, you notice there that as soon as they heard that the walls were going up, that the, the, the building project of God Um, shoring up the distinctiveness of God's people and walling out the wickedness uh, that was was, uh, um, against them. As soon as that happened, it says um, they saw that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry and they plotted together to come and fight and stir up trouble. And um, that strategy of, of attempting to frustrate the work of God is no different, whether it's several thousand years ago or today. And so when things get really nasty in our lives around us, we need, to, we need to have some strategies in mind. But first of all, let's look at this thing because 
the, the major issue that's at stake here is the, the issue of discouragement. Uh, if opposition to your personal family reform can stop you, then it has won a great victory. And so um, that's what's at, at stake here. And uh, discouragement will always ice over enthusiasm. Now, I don't know if you noticed while we were looking at this, but in verse 10, it talks about the strength of the laborers is giving out. There's so much rubble, our enemies said. Uh, you, you know, what I notice here is that the first thing that's gone haywire is, is that the people here start looking at the rubbish, they start looking at themselves, and they start listening to what the enemy's talking about. If there were ever three strategies that were absolutely wrong, that's the three. Looking at the rubbish, looking at themselves, and listening to the enemy. But here's the clinker. When you look at this, you realize, meanwhile, the people in Judah, Judah, not Judah. Judah's going down? Judah was the tribe that is described in Genesis 49, 9 to 10 as getting the blessing from Jacob as the lion hearts. This is the best people. These are the leading people. These are the ones that that are supposed to have hearts as as big as the, the whole world itself. And when we're in community, when we're in a project with God, the, the last thing you want to hear is the, the leading people are, are, are looking at the rubbish and looking at themselves and listening to the enemies, not the leading people. Judah is going down. Your best start to cave. But you notice something as we continue to read along here. Not only is Judah looking around at this, but then it says um, in verse 12, Then the Jews who lived near them, or the enemies, uh, came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack. You ever notice that when things are really sort of going awry in your life, that there's always those who seem to have the ear of the loyal opposition? There are always those people who come along and say, Have you heard what they're saying? Have, are, you, are you listening to what's going on? What, what everybody's saying around you? are like, who are they exactly? You, you know, and, and you can tell that there's a great frustration in Nehemiah because they came and told us ten times over. He's like, okay, you know what? I heard you the first time. I get it. I understand. So what? It's like if I told you once, I've told you a thousand times. You don't need to hear this over and over and over again that there's these people who are going to shut this thing down, you know. There's these rumors going around there, and wherever you turn, they're going to they're gonna shut it down in your life. Here's what I'm hearing. I hope you're not one of those sympathetic ears to naysayers. Because if you're prone, if you're a person prone to discouragement... Swindoll rightly states, you can't run the risk of spending a lot of your time with people who traffic in discouraging information. He also goes on to say that discouragement's like a flat tire. You can't ignore it. You've got to fix it. You can't just live with discouragement. It has to be dealt with. What is it, what is it that brings discouragement into our lives? There's a number of factors, and and, and in, from this story alone, there's a few that sort of jump out at us uh, when discouragement really pounces on your life. If you were paying attention, we, were, we talked about the last week, the walls had gone to half the height. They were kind of half time. 
there's that half-time letdown in our lives. You know what it's like. You, you go out and buy a new car and you finance that thing. And you know the first day it seemed like a good idea. And you're, uh, you're mortgaged to the hilt and this, the leather, you know, the Venetian leather, it smells so wonderful on that first day. And then after you're halfway through paying for the thing and it's, it's got stains all over and the kids have ripped the seats and all that, you're like, man... What a letdown. We still owe half on this car, and I don't even like it anymore. There's sort of this half-time letdown, and that, that, I can think that's maybe where they were at. And, the, and then there's, of course, simply the removing of the rubbish of our lives. If you ever try to do a cleanup, it's like the mess is immense. And they were just, they were looking, instead of, instead of visualizing the greatness of what God had for them, they were staring at the big mess, and they were like, this is horrible. We're, we're never going to get this thing cleaned up. It's a massive project. And, and then they look around and they, they realize that many times in, in other kingdoms, these walls are built by slaves. And they realize, wait a second, we're the slaves. We're, we're the ones having to do all the work. It's like a huge project. And, and what can go wrong, it goes wrong. We know that. And then there's no end to opposition. We feel inadequate. We cannot. Everywhere we turn, it's going to go against us. And, and there's a sense of impending doom. You, you know, sometimes you just, you want to give the kids back. It's like parenting's just too hard. You know what I mean? You just want to like, could I send these kids back? God's overhaul is too great. I'm always hopeful that someone doesn't, just take little sound bites from me and collect them on the internet and just, just put them together. Responsibilities are burying me. You ever feel like that? Just the weight, the sheer weight of the responsibility on your head is just burying you. Well, it says in the text that after Nehemiah looked around, looked things over in verse 14, and in a, in a better translation, it, it really states there, when he saw their fear, and that's what it is. When he saw their fear, he went into action, and that's what I want to talk to you about. Five, five things that major that he did, but, but first of all, I want you to notice in verse 9 what he did. It says, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. He prayed and got into action, went into action. It's important for us to know that prayer is not a replacement for action. Sometimes we just think, well, I'm just going to pray about it and God will, I'm just going to sit, I'm just going to come to church, I'm going to fold my hands, sit in church every Sunday and God's got to fix my life. I'm not actually going to do anything about it, but, but God's, I'm just going to pray and sit in church. That's not the way it works. It's, it's prayer and action. It's, it's, it's calling on God and then, and then moving forward in the way that you really believe God wants you to go. It's, it's pray and go look for a job. It's pray and lock your car. It's, it's kind of a really practical life that God expects of us. He is very involved and is, over, is sovereign over all things and will help us. That's what the whole of the Bible tells us. But he doesn't expect us to do nothing, to sit and do nothing. So there's ex expectation of some practical steps. And that's why we're going to look at some practical steps this morning. It's pray and post it a guard. And the first thing that I notice in verse 13 that he does is he re reorganizes his actions to address the vulnerable areas. Look in the text. You'll see a couple of phrases. 
he, he uh, notices there's lowest points and exposed places, and he puts people there. He posts guards there at the lowest points and the exposed places. He goes back to the basics. What's really at risk on this wall? What's really at risk in your own life? Where are you vulnerable? You know, you, you're, you're, you're in a state of discouragement because everything seems to be closing in on you, and you're seeking to live for God. Well, let's, let's, let's take this thing apart, and let's look at it reasonably. What's the vulnerable area in your life first? Is it through your eyes? Is it what you listen to? Is it the way you talk? Does it have something to do with when you get tired? You, you know, when Pastor Ken gets tired, we just ha- have to offer him a Snickers bar because he's not, he's not himself when he gets tired, you know? And um, it, it's very dangerous to be my partner up here on Communion Day because uh, they're a foil for the sermon. But anyway... Whether it's fatigue that sets in in your life, and then, then you go off and you, you do something crazy, or, or, or there's friendships in your life that are unhealthy. What are the areas in your life that are the lowest places, the exposed places? Start there first. And I notice as well in the text that he gathers them in families. Why? That's an immense and incredibly good strategy. You know, when you're wondering, is this worth it? Is all of this heavy lifting that I'm doing in terms of seeking to live for God, willing to take on opposition and all of that that comes with it, is really worth it? Well, Nehemiah puts the little kids' faces right in front of their father. You know, the little cherubic son and the little cherubic daughter. The ones we were going to give away a few minutes ago. Those ones. He puts them right in front and they're just staring at their daddy with their big eyes. You going to let me go down, daddy? Put them in families. Look at your own families. We've been talking about this for the last number of weeks. It's about whether or not you're willing to give your family away to the, to the, to the, the, the ravishes of wickedness. No, we're not willing to give our families away. God's entrusted them to us, and he puts them there in sight lines. Stop looking at the rubbish and start looking at your little kids. Don't lose sight of the point. The priceless people in your life. What you're doing this for. The, the second thing I notice, second strategy is, um, you'll notice that one of the things that really we, we mentioned is a real problem is it, in verse 10 it says, there was so much rubble. Regularly. The enemy wants us to get fixated on our failures. Our past failures, our faithlessness, our fruitlessness. And he wants us to stare at the size of the mess in our lives. And what does Nehemiah say to do? Verse 14, don't be afraid of them, remember the Lord. The second strategy is is this, to reset your vision upon Christ and not the cracks in your life. So much rubble. Remember the Lord, he says, who is great and awesome. Look at him. Stare at him. Don't be afraid of them. You don't have to listen to the enemy and what he says. Paralyze. Trying to paralyze you. You, you failed again. You fa- you're going to fail again. You failed in the past. You've sought to, to, with the Lord's strength to, to, to enjoy reform in your life. But you remember, you failed in the past. You'll fail again. 
He wants you to think that you're too broken to be used by God. If, if, if I can't possibly be significantly used in the kingdom work of God. I, I, can't, I can't be entrusted with great things for God. I'm too broken. Look at the rubbish. I want to remind you of something that the Apostle Paul made all of us aware of in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. He said, this treasure, the glory of Jesus Christ, he entrusts in jars of clay. Literally in cracked pots. That's who we are. The, the decor that the Lord himself favors is cracked pots. He's called broken people to himself. He's called past failures to himself. That's who all of us were at one time. We were broken and, and washed up and ruined and useless and frustrated with our own lives. That's who we were. And God calls us into his kingdom just as we were. Jars of clay. Not very strong. And, and places his, his amazing glory in us. Why would he do that? You'd think he'd say, no, look it. You go and clean yourself up. You go and fix yourself first. You go and mend all of those cracks so that I can't see them anymore. And then maybe, just maybe, I'll let you come into my family. That's not how, that's not how the Lord Jesus Christ saves us. He saves us as we were and changes us into what he wants us to be. And we're jars of clay. I hope we all understand that um, he does this so that anything good that is ever accomplished in our lives is not accomplished because of who we are or how spectacular we are, or how talented we are, or how unbroken we are. Anything, that ever, anything good that ever happens in our lives is because of how great the glory of Jesus Christ is, who lives in us. And we don't boast in ourselves. We boast in Jesus Christ. And that's why God's favorite decor is cracked pots. And, and, and so he, he goes on. I, I really believe uh, that, that what we really need to understand in our lives is that our minds are not renewed by revisiting the rubble but by sacrificially serving the Savior. We don't define ourselves by where, by where we have come from, but by who we presently are in Christ. Daily being transformed by the washing of God's word. It is vital. And I, I can tell you that there are people who disagree with how I view these things. There's a whole Christian industry that is springing up around these issues. Of going back. I just don't see it. I don't see it in the scriptures. I don't embrace it. I, I, think, it's, I think it's a mistake. And, and here's the thing. When the, Lord, when, when the Lord God delivered his people out of the slavery of Egypt. And took them toward the promised land. He never once suggested to those people. That you ought to go back to Egypt. And fix all the things that were a mess in your life. And then maybe, just maybe, you can come back to the promised land. 
In fact, it was the people who themselves said, we want to go back to Egypt. And it really, really distressed the Lord God that they would want to do that. Because God takes us out of where we were and takes us to where he wants us to be. And he keeps moving us forward. If anyone had dysfunctional spiritual baggage in their lives, it was the Apostle Paul. He himself, by his own admission in his letters, talks about himself as a pretty nasty guy. And we all know historically that the Apostle Paul had at least murder in his background. Never once do you hear the Apostle Paul teach in any of his epistles, any of his letters, that he went back to to deal with that. No, in fact, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, the Apostle Paul says this, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press toward the goal of the high calling in Christ Jesus, for which he has called me. Now, you won't go forward if you spend time fumbling around with the past. Our sight lines are to be on Jesus and not our past junk. We are, according to the scriptures, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who himself scorned the shame of the cross, looking forward to what was to come. That's the teaching of the, of the scriptures. Stop allowing the enemy to hold you hostage to your past. As if somehow you by your own strength, by your own resolve, need to somehow with strategies fix all of that before you can move forward in Christ. Christ alone transforms our lives. We are no longer to be conformed to the likeness of this world, but, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And how in the world does transformation take place? It's an act of the Holy Spirit of God through the Word of God. The washing in God's Word. And I surely uh, am on good terrain when I remind you again of of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 17 and following. Where there Paul writes to all of us and says, If any man or woman is in Christ, he or she is... uh, New creation. What does it say? The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. That's the teaching. In fact, the verse right before that says, we no longer view these things in a worldly way, which I would submit is the other way to view things. In the best redneck theology I have, With respect to our past. When we come to know Christ. It gone. That's what it is. That's the deal. In redneck theology jargon. Now. From some more redneck stuff. Some spears and bows and armor and shields. Thirdly you need to rebalance. So your mission's holistic, spiritual, and practical. We touched on that at the very start. Praying and posting a guard. Listen, building spiritual temples, building our lives. We're not talking about spears and bows and shields and, and arrows and all of that kind of stuff. But we are talking uh, in, in, in practical sense that God is working in our lives 
and he has some armor for us and equipment for us. And you want to know what the armor of God is, you read Ephesians chapter 6. You ought to put it on. That's what we're told to do. That's how you stave off the enemy. You wear the armor of God. So the toolbox for them was going to look different than they imagined. They thought they were just going to pick up trowels. And, and uh, this is where my masonry problem is going to come in. I, I have no idea beyond that. I think there's trowels and there's cement mixer you'd probably need. And you might need some blocks. I don't know. That's all they thought was going to be in their toolbox. But now they've got to have spears and shields and swords and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and half the guys can't work. And so now the project's going to go slower than they hoped for. That can be pretty discouraging. But God didn't step in and stop that. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he just uh, eradicate that and say, no, no, I, I'm going to step right in. Because he was, he was building people. Building people who would depend upon God. And so the, the, the uh, toolbox looked different than they thought it was going to be. It's, it was blood, sweat, and tears, and pain, and suffering, and battle. A sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. I think there's a book even written like that. Now, this practical reality is this. A trowel in one hand, a sword in the other tells us something. It tells us this. It's not all warfare. But it's not no warfare either. There's a balance here. Don't lose your balance. And so they, uh, they fought for the Lord. Fight for, God, fight for what God wants for you, not about what God has already forgiven you of. Fourthly, uh, Nehemiah mentions that uh, the wall is great and they're all spread out. And there's a problem with people all being spread out. In fact, um, I want you to know that I'm giving a shout-out to the... I promised the, the first service I'd give them a shout-out this morning. The reason you are so toasty warm in here this morning... Is everybody feeling kind of warm? It's nice in here? Well, it wasn't nice in here at 9.15, I can tell you that. It was freezing cold. We had some sort of furnace issue. But uh, they soldiered it out. Sat in here in a crowd and warmed the place up so it'd be good for you. So uh, thank your brothers and sisters from the 9.15 service... Because they suffered for the Lord. They suffered for Jesus. Now, I want you to know, and I, I told them they could just move together and, you know, get some close fellowship and warm it all up. And, and here's Nehemiah talking about when you're spread out and the battle's on, you got looking around, you don't see anybody around. It gets really lonely and really scary. And so Nehemiah says to them, when, um, when the trumpet sounds... All gather. Now, now here's, here's the thing. When we leave this place, most of us go and we just scatter all over the place. We go to places where people don't love Jesus. It can be really lonely and scary. And so the, the point here for dealing with discouragement is he tells them in verse 20, when the trumpet sounds, come back. We, we, we ought to rally regularly to the place of praise. He says, gather around and God will fight for us and we'll talk about God, the great and mighty God. Now, if you're out there, you realize that it's important to come back here. I, I, I liken this to the sort of the Sunday gathering where we reset our sight lines together. Come back once a week and we, 
We tell each other about the greatness of God. We sing about the greatness of God. We remind each other that our God is great and awesome. He'll fight for us and he'll frustrate the plans of the enemy. We tell each other that kind of stuff. And, and, and we remind each other that, that no, you're not alone in this. Because sometimes you feel like, am I the only one going through all of this? No, you're not alone in this. Sometimes we feel like all of this nastiness is going on around us. Maybe there's something wrong with me. And we come together and we find out, no, no, there's, there's nastiness going on in another person who loves the Lord with all of their heart too. It, no, it's not something wrong with you. It's, it's what it means to be in the, in, the, in, the, in the battle of life for righteousness and for Christ and, and, and for his glory. That's what it's all about. And that's why, uh, you know, if, if you spread it out and, you, and you're not coming back regularly to rally for, for in, in the place of praise, those embers... That we're on fire this Sunday can go out if you don't come back here for two or three or four weeks. This is a rally regularly. So I want, I want you to know that next Sunday, if your car is driving in an opposite direction of Ritson and Rosalind, I want you to hear my voice. And here's what my voice will be saying. Oh, next week is spring break, isn't it? Yeah, well, you know what, I want you to hear my voice anyway. Here's my voice. The trumpet is sounding at the corner of Ritson and Roslyn. You better all rally to the place of praise. Because you can't do this by yourself. You can't do this thing. You can't do this Jesus thing by yourself. We need each other. Solidarity of cause, community comfort in crisis, revisiting collective truth, lifts wilted hearts. Because our God will fight for us. One last thing. I got to be honest, there's a lot of reasons why Nehemiah is one of, one of the Bible heroes for me, but... He had, um, he had some pathetic people around him. Just whiners. You know, the strength of the laborers is giving out. The rubbish is too great. The enemies are threatening us. They're, they're calling us by bad names. You know what? I, if, if I was Nehemiah, I'd be thinking, you know what? I don't need this gig. I had a really good job in Persia. I, I'm out of here. You know, you want to look at rubble for the rest of your life. If you're satisfied with that, I'm going back to Persia. I can be a wine taster for the rest of my life. That was a good deal. But here's what he does. Verse 21. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first Light of dawn, till the stars came out. At that time I also said to the people, Have every man and his helpers stay inside Jerusalem at night, so they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I, nor my brothers, nor, any, nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. We're sticking at this thing. We're refusing to quit the cause. Because the cause is so great. The cause that we're talking about is not just the building of a wall. It's not the, the, the putting up of doors. We're talking about reestablishing 
the grand distinctiveness of God's people. We're talking about making sure that the wall, that, that, the, that the doors that kept out the enemy's strategies and wickedness that would rip at the heart of everything good about the people of God would be stopped. We were talking about the, uh, the, the, the uh, taking away of families and hauling them away back into pagan cultures so that they no longer serve the living God. We are talking about life and death, and you don't quit on that. And this project that he was about, while it has bricks and mortar and blocks and trowels and all of that and spears and swords, is no different than the battle that we're in today against the forces, against everything righteous about our great God. And the stakes are too great. The stakes are too great to quit. And so the call on us is the same as the call on Nehemiah's time. We will fight. We will fight for our families. We will fight that they will be distinctive in Christ. We will fight that we put up barricades to protect and prevent wickedness from stealing away their hearts. We will be warriors and worshipers and workmen. You know why? Because that's who we are in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the ultimate who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You will be victorious. You are the overcomers. So stick with me, Christ says, and I'll take you through right to glory. That's who we are. So can I say to you that it's absolutely critical for us. Um, if you want to go forward, and I really believe that you do, then you can't any longer be a person who looks at the size of the project ahead of you. Or pays attention staring at yourself and your inabilities. Or listens to the language of the enemy. Because that will leave you in the wilderness. When God rescued the people out of the slavery of captivity in Egypt, he took them towards the promised land. And that was to be of like a 15-day journey. But they started staring at the size of the project. They started staring at the size of their inadequacies. They started listening to the chirping of the enemy. Oh, he's so big. And by faith, which they didn't have, they ended up wandering around the wilderness instead of the abundant life that God had in mind for them. It's no different for us. So can I say something to you if you're afraid of the size of the project or afraid that you don't have enough fight in you? Don't get caught staring at the people who are faltering all around you. Don't get caught fixated on your past failures. And don't get lost thinking you don't have the size of a fight that's necessary. When I went through this text, I don't highlight, put an actual highlighter in my Bible very often. I write in it, I underline things, but in this text I highlighted some things. So that I could turn here when I'm discouraged. And here's what I highlighted. Even with a highlight, I can't see it. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. 
don't look at the rubbish. Don't look at the size of the project around you. Don't look at yourself. Don't listen to the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember that God frustrates the work of the enemy. And finally, our God will fight for us. Those are words to chase discouragement far, far away from you. Father, I pray this morning and thank you for your great word to us. I thank you for encouraging our hearts and building us up. And Lord, if we're discouraged, we don't need to be discouraged after being here this morning. We can be encouraged to know that our God is awesome and great. And he frustrates the work of the enemy that's seeking to take us down. And he will fight for us. So, Father, we praise you and thank you as we now um, give you praise and honor for what Christ has done for us to make it possible for us to be overcomers, to be victorious. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.